I don't like to do anything halfway. I've never had any hobbies or interests that I'm kind of interested in. I've been all in or not at all. I've been like that always. I think about the sports that I've been involved in or the interests that I've had or relationships I've had. I've been all in or or not at all. Now, for some people, that's quite extreme. And I know that part of this is personality. But when it comes to belief, when it comes to following Jesus, I believe that there is no other way. There is no alternative. There is no middle ground. There is no kind of in. Now, there's some people who attempt to find the middle ground. I don't believe it works. And I don't believe it's biblical. In the last book of the Bible, a book called Revelation, there is this direct and hard to read challenge where the author says, some of you are lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. Choose one. The text says, I will spit you out of my mouth because you're kind of in the middle somewhere. This is quite hard to hear. It's quite hard to read because it would be nice if everyone all got along at the same time. But there is There is a clear invitation of Jesus to be all in. Jesus wasn't tame. Sometimes we've made Jesus too tame. We've removed some of the wildness and and made it a nice idea that can be a component that could fit into many other components in our life. Today, I want to look at a side of Jesus where that just isn't the case. I want to look at Jesus where he's wild He's dangerous. He splits the crowd in half and he changes things in such a way where for those of us that like to keep a tame version of Jesus, he doesn't fit that mold. I quite like this version of Jesus, but for some people, it's a new version of Jesus. I'm using the term and the, and the idea that Jesus uh, is all about revolution. Jesus is the revolutionary. And that's something that we're going to look at today. Before we do that, I'm going to introduce Sarah and Kara, who are going to say something. Last year, in February, they brought what they believed was a word of God. We as a church believe that God speaks to his children, his followers, his sons and his daughters. Any and all of us can hear his voice, and we always want to make space for his voice. And last year, they heard something, and they were like, I believe this is God, and we made space for that then. And we want to revisit it now, aware that the last year has been a unique year, but God's voice hasn't silenced. We want to listen to that and revisit that. So Sarah and Kara are going to come and speak to us now for a moment. Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, so yeah, it was about February and I remember when I looked at Kara and I said, Hey, let's do this. <laughs> and, um, and then, and then things took such a strange turn and we wondered at times if it was even God that we heard and we wondered what it all meant. But in the last probably three or four months, we've, we've had conversations over coffee and, we feel like it's come, becoming clearer and clearer what God actually meant by what he said. So I'm going to let Kara share a bit about what's been happening in her life, and then I'm going to share a bit about what's been happening in my life, and then we're going to pray for the church family. So, 
Hi, church. I love you. I love you, Jesus. It's good to see all of you. If you don't know me, my name is Kara Tate, and I've been coming here for 12 plus years. So I'm going to share my testimony. I'm going to read it because, you know, nerves, and I don't want to forget anything. So let me get my glasses on because, you know, I'm getting old. <laughs> okay. For many years, I pray for God to give me a word for the year which sets the mood for my year. Back in January of 2020, God gave me the word bloom. I was intrigued by this word and was very hopeful for the coming year of bloom. In the dictionary, bloom means to mature into achievements one's potential, to flourish in youthful beauty, freshness and excellence, to shine out Wow, what a great word that is. As the new year began, I was doing everything to live out that word. I spent time with God, read my Bible, worshiped, and felt hopeful that I would get closer to God. Then in March, the pandemic hit. Everything was changing around me. I found myself drifting away from God, but still trying everything in my will to live out my word bloom. I occasionally felt lonely, sad, anxious, and depressed for the rest of the year. As the year ended, I felt disappointed that my, my year of bloom was wrong, that I didn't bloom. Toward the end of December, I was spending God and was reminded what a sweet friend told me. Flowers bulb needs dark and cold to cause them to go through a biochemical process which will, will produce blooms. If they don't have the season of dark and cold, they will not bloom in all their beautiful colors. The winter season was necessary. God was building things in me and giving me things that would become visible. He said to me, 2020 was your planting season of blooming, and 2021 is your year to bloom. Now, three months into the year, I am happy to say that I am seeing the fruits of that sometimes dark year. Just recently, something shifted in my spirit. I felt like my heart wants to explode with joy, and I feel a sense of love and peace. Who is Jesus? My relationship with Jesus is amazing. I am seeking him more than I ever have and really knowing him as my best friend. I desire to know more and more about him. He is my comforter, my king, my provider, healer, savior, lover, and good shepherd. The list could go on. I'm living out the fruits of the Spirit. I just want to be with him every second of the day. I feel reborn, new, flourishing, and I want to tell everyone of, about my best friend, Jesus. I'm looking forward to for what God has for me in this new year. Bloom is not just for me. It's for all of you. So... <laughs> Uh, Lord, I just want to release bloom to all of you, Lord God, into the atmosphere. Lord, I just pray that we flourish, that we shine, that we have face-to-face -face relationship with you, Lord. Sweet Heavenly Father, just come into our hearts. Help us to display the fruits of the Spirit, Lord God, to shine. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We just pray for more of your presence. We love you, Lord. We love you. 
It's been absolutely amazing to watch these things unfold because I've watched everything that she's just said. I've watched it unfold as we've had conversations over the last few months, and it's been so beautiful to see. Um, so I'm just going to share a couple quick things about what's been happening in my life. I think what to sum up what's happened in my life over the last year is the main thing is now the main thing again. And what that means is that I think I got a little bit distracted with lots of change that was happening in my life, and I forgot a bit about that it's about Jesus. And it sort of all started last around last Easter. And there was a scripture that God made sure that I that I found. And it, it, that's a story in itself. But it's Galatians 3. And, sorry, no, Galatians 2. And it says, My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. And I read that, and, and I would just, I would run on, we had an elliptical at that point, and I would run and run and run, because I'd never seen that before. And I, I guess I thought when I became a Christian that God kind of picked me up and, you know, dusted me off. But actually, I had this revelation that he, he didn't just do that. He, he actually made me new. And I was, I don't know whether I just forgot it or if, if I never really knew it. I don't know. But that was what happened. And then fast forward to the fall. And I was in, we have a little garden plot, community garden plot. And um, we kind of were putting, putting the garden to bed for the year. And I thought, I'll put a few bulbs in. And they took uh, my daughter Eden with me. And there was this row. I wish I had a picture to show you, but there was just this, this row, and I dug, we dug a little trench, and we put the bulbs in. And I was at one end of, of the row, and Eden was at the other end, and I just looked at her, and this, we, it was just a God moment. And I, I put the dirt over the bulbs, and I said, just without even thinking about it, it just came out, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and then I put the dirt over the evidence of things unseen. And it was like, where? <laughs> and that's Hebrews 11.1. 1. And God just show, started to show me over the, of the weeks that followed that, that he's just reminded me that how he's real and that all the things that I want to see and need and they're not things. They're all wrapped up in a person, and, that, and his name is Jesus. And then he showed me himself. And as the months went on in the year, got to like November, December, and John, John chapter 19, where he showed, he turned up in a room with the disciples after he'd risen from the dead, and he showed them his hands, and he showed them his side. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. All that to say, we thought, <laughs> we thought, we, we didn't really know what it all meant. We just knew that it was something we felt God was doing in our lives. What we didn't realize is that it wasn't just about us, 
It was about, we feel that it's about the whole church family and something that God's doing in us collectively. And it's not just about flowers blooming. It's about the revelation of Jesus blooming in our hearts and us seeing him for who he really is. So we, some of you may have been there for that day. Some of you may not have been, but we wanted to just say it again. And we wanted to say it really, we really feel it was from God and it is something that he's still doing. And we hope and pray that you would all see Jesus and that you would all know him for who he is. Thank you. Those stories, both personal but yet bigger, sound like considerable shift or change. And it always starts with us, but the move of God is always bigger than us. Revolution, some definitions. I'm going to be introducing Jesus as the revolution, the revolutionary. Some definitions of what it means. Involving or causing a complete or dramatic change. That's one definition for revolution. A sudden, radical, and or complete change. The overthrow of one government, kingdom, or ruler, and the substitution of another. This isn't middle-of-the-road stuff. This is distinct shift and change. And we celebrate that in the lives of Kara and Sarah, and we yearn for that in us. I said at the beginning of the year, the first Sunday of this year, I'm praying this year for a Jesus revolution. For that kind of shift in me, in us, and in the society around us. I'm not praying for a nicer church Christian experience than the church down the road. I'm not into the idea of entertaining, pleasing, fishing for other Christians, or just trying to create this weird bubble that we enjoy once a week. I want a revolution that changes us and changes those around us. Because that's what I see in the story of Jesus. That's what I celebrate in others And I do believe that God speaks to us in all manner of ways. I'll tell you a story. Last Friday, I was driving my car, and I felt God saying, Adam, I want to free you of some of the things that hinder you. Because we read these stories in Jesus, and we see moments of them, but not all of them all the time in us and around us. And I felt God saying, I want to free you, and I want to free the church to experience more of the power of this wild Jesus. And I felt God keep saying, I want to free you. I want to free you. I want to free you. I was driving. I did not have my eyes closed while I was praying and driving. In true classic Massachusetts style, as I'm driving, somebody pulled out in front of me with a ridiculously short gap. My initial response was one of annoyance. And then I looked up and I saw this vehicle with this person's name, God Freeze. There's a closer zoom up. This may be one of those weird coincidences, but I believe and I'm open to God speaking in all sorts of weird ways. I believe God wants to free us. I believe that Christianity was never meant to be tame. It was never meant to be an optional component that we add in a, in a week. In the same way that we've got this obligation and commitment, we've also got this. I want to look at the wild Jesus. Jesus is the revolutionary. So, What does that look like? I'm not talking about politics. 
we aren't talking about politics. There is that definition which I read, the overthrow of one government, kingdom, or ruler, and the substitution of another. In the context of Scripture, when it's talking about the overthrow of government, what we're talking about is the fact that God was always meant to be the king. And in the Old Testament, there was a shift where people said, could we be governed another way? And that was the beginning of a very big mistake. We were always meant to be governed by God, and Jesus is the king that wants to restore that. So when Jesus is talking about kingdom, he's talking about the rule and the reign of the way things were meant to be. And it's always better than your favorite political party or orientation. It's God's way. That's what we're talking about. So a brief history lesson. In the Old Testament, the people were governed by other oppressors. In the Old Testament, we hear of Egypt and then the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans where there is another group of people governing. And they're nearly always governing in the same way that empire has always been and continues to be governed with money and military and the threat of violence if you don't agree with us. This is the way we're going to do things. So the idea of revolution was always slightly dangerous because if you challenge these institutions, you're in trouble. We know that through what happened to Jesus. But we read this in Isaiah, and we'll put this on the screen. Isaiah 9 verse 6. This is a passage that sounds like a Christmas service. It's bigger than just the Christmas service passage. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, and this is a prophetic picture. This is somebody hearing from God and saying, I see this. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And the government will be on his shoulders, be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is this picture that what you see at the moment isn't always going to be the case. There is this hope that goes beyond these circumstances, and it all points to Jesus. Some elements of that I want to identify. The first, the word, this is given. This isn't earned. You or I didn't do anything that made us worthy of it. It is a gift. Jesus is a gift. It's given to us. It's not given to some. The idea that some are special and some are less special. Some are chosen and some are not chosen. Some have made right decisions and they receive the gift and some others don't. Is not the case. This is given to us. There is a generosity of the gospel of Jesus. The revolution that Jesus is bringing is given, not earned, and is freely available for all, not some. The government will be on his shoulders. I don't want it on anyone else's. This has been such a crazy time. And it still is. I love the idea of the government being on his shoulders. Now, there is a problem. And the problem is this. For the people of the Old Testament that first received this passage that pointed to Jesus, they had ideas and assumptions of what this would look like. And as sometimes is the case, 
perhaps the word sometimes should be as often is the case. The God who works in mysterious ways, whose understanding is beyond our understanding, formed this fulfillment in a person called Jesus in such a way where for some people they couldn't get their heads around it. Sadly, that still is the case today because the expectations and the mold of what this would look like doesn't always meet our preference. Consider this. Jesus was born a legitimate child. Jesus gave no indication of political alignment, support, or even interest. Jesus was not starting a rebellion, and he had no interest in fighting the idea of paying taxes. He even said to one of his followers, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. This revolution was not what they considered the way revolution would be where you fight these empires and replace it with another one that likes and aligns with the way we've predetermined things should be ordered. That is not the revolution that Jesus was about. Consider Jesus' world. Rome rule only. Money, power, and the ever-constant threat of violence. Their kingdom and their customs or else. The religious leaders at the day were almost equally as oppressive. The religious leaders had made agreements with Rome, with the empire. You support us, and we will support you. Which sounds like votes in exchange for for religious controls and benefits. How can we coexist? How can we benefit each other? Jesus did not play this game. Jesus was bringing a different kind of revolution. I want to introduce Jesus as the revolutionary. And I want to continue to say and to pray, we need a Jesus revolution. So introducing Jesus as the revolutionary, some extracts from some reading. You may have been reading this book by Philip Yancey. It was a book that was written in the mid-1990s called The Jesus I Never Knew. He expresses Jesus as the revolution in this way. To take one example of the revolutionary changes Jesus set in motion... Consider Jesus' attitude toward women. In those days, at every synagogue service, Jewish men prayed, Blessed art thou, O Lord, who has not made me a woman. Women sat in a separate section, were not counted in quorums, and were rarely taught the Torah. In social life, few women would talk to men outside of their families, yet Jesus associated freely with women and taught some as his disciples. A Samaritan woman who had been through five husbands, Jesus tapped to to lead a revival. A prostitute's anointing he accepted with gratitude. Women traveled with his band of followers, no doubt stirring up much gossip. Women populated Jesus' parables and illustrations frequently. This was revolutionary. I'll add, this is beyond the author's extract. I'll add this as my observation. Women were the last with Jesus at the cross and the first with Jesus at the resurrection. Another author who wrote of the revolutionary Jesus, Henri Norwin, wrote in the book The Name of Jesus, one of the greatest ironies of history of Christianity is that its leaders constantly gave into the temptation of power. Political power, military power, economic power, and moral and spiritual power. Even though they continue to speak in the name of Jesus, who did not cling to his divine power, but emptied himself and became as we are. 
The temptation to consider power an instrument for the proclamation of the gospel has been a danger. We keep hearing from others as well as saying to ourselves that having power, provided it be used in the service of God and fellow humans, can be a good thing. With that rationalization, crusades took place. People were enslaved. Positions of great influence were desired. What makes the temptation of power seemingly irresistible? Maybe it's that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. Jesus asks, do you love me? We ask, can we sit at your right hand? Ever since the snake said, the day you eat of this tree, your eyes will see and be like God. We have been tempted to replace love and trust with power. Jesus as a revolutionary operated differently. And then lastly, a quote, an extract from a book I read this week. Karl Barth said, God cannot serve some other interest. God can only rule. The revolution that Jesus was introducing appoints God as king and Jesus as king. Covenantial politics is a contest to gain the use of coercive force, but Jesus rejects this method. It's not the task of the church to change the world by legislative force. It's the task of the church to see the world changed by Jesus. This is revolutionary in a way that conventional politics can never be. The church doesn't need to enforce this revolution. The church only needs to live it. So those who dare to adopt the politics of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus flips everything upside down and then invites us to do the same. Jesus is a revolutionary. The author Tom Wright, we'll get to this book next month, described Jesus as being on a collision course for a perfect storm. I love this idea. The way he was operating, talking about a kingdom in the context where there is another kingdom, rule, Rome. And the way Jesus was talking about God as his father who loves everybody was on for a collision course with both the empire of Rome and the religious people of the day. Jesus was a troublemaker that was an irritant in that crowd, and he knew it. He knew it. Jesus spoke about nonviolence in a world of military might and ever-present threat of violence. Anti-materialism. Jesus said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This was not the order of the day. Jesus did not speak up against the Jewish leaders or Rome when arrested. He remained silent. This is revolutionary activity. So the question needs to be asked, why? Why was he like this? Why did he do this? How do we see revolution as this? Because the expectations of what revolution looked like were not being met. My answer is this. There is a bigger more important framework that is being shaped. And it doesn't always meet our expectations or our political alignment, but it's bigger and it's better 
And it's true revolution. It's a Jesus revolution. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. He called God his father and he told his followers that they can do the same. He declared God as the only true God in a world both then and now where there are many gods. And it seems offensive to say what I'm about to say. Jesus was comfortable to be offensive and to say there is only one way. There is only one God. And then Jesus introduces himself as the way, the gate, the door. Singular. This is revolutionary. Jesus said, love your enemies, don't take up arms. Jesus said, give and share, where we believe that the more you can collect, the better. There was an overthrow of a kingdom of evil and a replacement of God's kingdom. So Jesus, the peacemaker, made unrest. Jesus caused conflict. Jesus introduced true revolution and Jesus invited his followers to continue his work to live distinctly different not to be lukewarm let's look at this passage Matthew 26 48 to 55 and we're looking at this in the New Living Translation this is a passage we don't often read We'll get to it during Easter, but we'll tend to go past it quite quickly. Let's look at this. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly, but if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple while I was there teaching every day? So in this passage, empire rules the way empire has always ruled with military power, with violence, because they've got the most money so they can afford that. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's another way. He rebukes the violence. He rebukes the slashing of the guy's ear. In one of the other gospels, we read that he healed them. That must have been a mind bender for the person who puts his hand here because his ear is bleeding and then moves it away. And he's got blood on his hand, but his ear is fine. I love that idea. This is revolutionary. Jesus asked the question, and it's a fun question. I sometimes think that Jesus was, Jesus knew what he was doing. And he asked the question, am I some dangerous revolutionary? If you have expectations of what it's going to look like and it isn't being met, the answer is no. As I read this and consider Jesus, the answer is undoubtedly yes. It's dangerous. It's not tame, and it is revolutionary. And Jesus knows full well what he's doing, what he's achieving, and what the message means. 
Am I a dangerous revolutionary? Yes. It was meant to be dangerous. It was not meant to be politically correct. It was meant to say there is another way, a better way, another better kingdom. So what does this mean for you? You may already be thinking that. You may have been thinking that for the last 10 minutes. What does this mean for you? What does it mean for us? Uh, I guess the question is best answered by me enforcing that Jesus' invitation was to follow him and to be like him, to live revolutionary different lives in a world that doesn't look like Jesus or sound like Jesus or feel like Jesus. And we only need to see this week's news to see how fallen and how far off the mark of the way things were meant to be are actually being played out. We are meant to be revolutionary in ourself, in our conduct, in our actions, in our words. So the question, what does this mean for me, is best answered by me saying this. How are you doing How revolutionary are you living in the context of following Jesus and living like him? You don't need to answer the question, but to put more to put more into it. If you were to rate yourself on a score of tepid, kind of believe, don't do much about it, to Jesus is revolutionary, and I'm invited to be like him. What are you doing on that scale? What does it look like? I ask the question and bring this subject together because I wholeheartedly believe that we need a Jesus revolution. I need a Jesus revolution. You need a Jesus revolution. My dream is that we will be part of a Jesus revolution that is revolutionary different to the way the kingdom and empire and society is ordered, where the government is genuinely on his shoulders and his shoulders alone. I want that revolution. I want to be part of that revolution. And Jesus introduces it fulfills it in himself, and invites us. So let's pray. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us, but before I pray for us, in the big sense, I want to encourage you to pray Individually, Jesus wasn't tame. He wasn't half-hearted. And there's times where we are. There's times when I have been. I want to pause for a moment and I want you to consider the question I asked you. How are you doing? What does your following Jesus look like? Is it revolutionary or is it kind of tepid? I want to pray and I want to pause for a moment and I want to encourage you to consider that question and pray privately to a loving father who always forgives and always offers a fresh start. And if you're watching online, join me in this. Pause and consider, how how, how am I doing? 
Lord Jesus, highlight areas in us where we're not living as we know that you want us to live. Lord, forgive us for the times when we've been half-hearted. We have been tepid. We have been far from revolutionary in our pursuit of you. And Lord, as a church, as a community, Lord, we want to be part of a Jesus revolution. I want that to be our story I want that to be our experience, not just our belief or our theological conviction, but I want that to be our lived experience that we are part of a Jesus revolution. Where the government is on your shoulders, Lord, Holy Spirit, fill us. If you're comfortable, why don't we raise our hands? Why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, fill this church. We know that you're with us. We know that you're present, but we also know that we need more of you and less of us. Lord, we, we need a Jesus revolution. We need a Jesus revolution. We need a Jesus revolution.